mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 8. By way of review, I want to remind you that we began chapter 5 really looking at um, elders. And I, I really, as I looked at what Peter was saying, he's telling us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and God will lift us up. And notice the humility and the place of growth and maturity that Peter has been brought to um, by the Lord over the years. If you remember, just in him denying the Lord three times. And certain things that he had done when he puts his feet in his mouth all the time. And, and some of you might know what I mean. Oh, never mind. I know what I mean. I, put my, I open my, my mouth up and put my foot in my mouth all the time. And that's what Peter was doing. But all he was doing was letting the Lord wash his feet uh, with his own mouth. But he, but he came to this place where he doesn't say, I am Peter, the one who said uh, Jesus was the Christ. I am Peter, the one who walked on the water. I am Peter, the one who has authority because I'm an apostle to tell you. But he says he's an elder also. And he put himself in the same place as everybody else. And it's really important because the devil wants to take us. And if you got a spiritual insight or you read your Bible every day or you went to church, he wants you to be proud of yourself. And the pride is the very thing he deceives you into walking in. When you're, you're like, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm so prideful. I want to die to myself and I want to live for you. And then you begin to live for him. And he tricks you into becoming like a Pharisee where you think you're better than everybody else instead of remembering the stone that you were hewn from and going back and ministering to those people and sharing your testimony, reaching out to them and being reminded that all of us are sinners that need a Savior. All of us are born with a sin nature. All of us are subject to fall at any moment if we don't remind ourselves that we're living, we're walking, we're breathing in the strength of the Lord, in the power of the Lord, because of the blood of the Lord. And we have to remind ourselves really who we are. And it's really amazing that years down the road, here's Peter, and he is putting himself on the same level. He's not trying to pull anything and say, I'm better than somebody else. You know, it's only in, in today's world that we do that, or even then when... Um, People would come around and say they had special knowledge instead of they knew how to humble themselves. And when we close this out, really, he, he talked about how the, the shepherds should be uh, um, leading, how they should take care of the flock, um, serving. You know, Jesus was a servant. Oh, I want to follow. I want to be like you, Jesus. 
but I don't want to serve anybody. I want everybody to serve me. See, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That right there is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to actually live up to. That you want to serve. See, because if you want people to serve you, you're always going to be frustrated. But if you go and set out to serve others, you're never going to be out of a job. You're always going to have something to do. You're always going to be about the Lord's business. You're always going to need to be humbling yourself because you don't really feel like it in the flesh serving others. But in the spirit, that's what we're called to do, to be the example of somebody that would humble themselves so that God can lift us up. And I I just love that Peter um, brings it like this and tells us as shepherds. And, and of course, I'm, I'm an elder. I'm a shepherd. I'm not supposed to to do it uh, uh, with constraint, but willingly and not for dishonest gain, Um, not for filthy lucre is what it says in the King James. Um, You know, if if you're preaching the gospel to make money, which which I have, you know, I I see people do it all the time. They're only in it for the money. They take their sermons and, and, and they have somebody else come along and listen to them. And as they're listening to them, they transcribe them and they write a book. And then they put some fancy name on the front of it and they pretend like they've went alone and wrote that book. Really, they, they did speak the sermon, don't get me wrong. But then they take and they put that book out there and they do what's called uh, uh, pyre marketing. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Pyre marketing, you buy the first 200 or 500 or 2,000 copies of your own book, whatever you're allowed to buy, whatever you can afford to buy. And when you buy that, then so many sells in the first week, and you can make the national bestseller list just because so many sold. And you've got them in boxes in a warehouse somewhere, but you've created that pretense that your book is that important because it goes onto a list. And they do this all the time in the world to let you think that this is a very important book. This is what you should be reading. This is what you, and they have what's called pyre marketing. They do it with music. They do it with books. And they buy the first 3,000. And then later they just slip them back into inventory and they sell them again because they're no good for anything. Or they hand them out at concert, they hand them out at their book signing, and, and, and they create this illusion that something they are saying is, is, is powerful. This is the power right here. Our God is the power. Our God is the strength. Laying down a life is the power of the gospel. Becoming an ambassador and serving others, that's the power of the gospel because it can only be done by the Spirit of God. Here's the only book that should be important to you. 66 different biblioses, basic instructions before leaving earth. 66 books that we read. And even if we don't understand it, we've been spending time with the Lord. Are you spending time with the Lord? This is the book that matters. This is the one that has all truth in it. No matter who tries to to say that it's got errors and problems, this is the book that, listen, if he can't get us a book that's right and true and correct, then he ain't God. Why would you serve him? If he would let somebody damage this to such an extent that it wouldn't tell you the truth, then why serve him? But I want you to know, and... I want you to know this, is that there is an attack on the Word of God. It's been since the garden. Since the garden. And I don't know if you guys have seen in society, but the word trans. See, and these are translations. 
translations and different versions. Don't let the devil give you the translation of your Bible. You want the Holy Spirit to translate for you what God is saying. You don't want the devil or the world or a newspaper or somebody else writing a book about the Bible to translate. Let me tell you what translate means. Translate means to willfully mispresent if it's coming from the devil. He's a traducer. He is a slanderer. He's a false accuser. And when he translates your Bible for you, what's he going to do? He's going to say, did God really say? And he willfully deceives. So be very careful going to some of the translations. It's, it's, in, it's in movement of the Word of God. We're taking it everywhere because nothing is real. It's the attack on God's Word. The attack on God's marriage, the attack on God's life, the attack on God's gender. We just transfer it. We change it. We misrepresent it. And we teach the next generation that God's not real. We, for the first time, have passed the mark where there's more people that don't believe in God than believe in God, according to Barna, in our societies, for the first time. And churches, their churches are growing. They're filling up. But guess what? They're not filling up in a Bible-teaching way. They're filling up because people are afraid and they go to a church that makes them feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable in a church that's teaching you about purity, about holiness, about morality, if you sit down and you feel comfortable and you're not challenged, you don't see your sin, you don't see the places in your life that you need to change, you might want to get up and go find another church because the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does that mean? That's a bunch of stuff, isn't it? It's alive. And when it's spoken, when you read it, when you see it, it's discerning. It's making a judgment on the thoughts and intents of your heart. And all of us have bad thoughts. All of us have bad intents. And if we are really seeking God then we will hear what he's saying and go, yeah, you thought you were doing that, but let me tell you what you were really doing, and let's straighten this up. And then you repent. It divides the soul and the spirit. Well, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And your spirit is that which is married to God. It divides, and you think, well, I was doing this. No, no, no. What are you doing in the spirit? It helps you understand which one's which and how you can act, how you can live, how you can go about your day and not be deceived by the evil one and be living in the flesh following the same old flesh but just not doing some of the same old sins well i don't drink i don't hang around those who do so i must be okay wait a minute are you really in christ are you being perfected by christ are you allowing his word to transform you now here's a good use of the word trans transformation metamorphosis Becoming the new creation that you're supposed to become instead of staying the old creation. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's the whole process. 
We were clothed in unrighteousness, and Christ comes and dies and gives us righteousness so we can be clothed in it and learn to walk in it and learn to be the people of God. But if we're okay with unrighteousness, we need to go back and say, wait a minute, have I even believed in Jesus? Have, have I even come to the truth if I'm comfortable in unrighteousness? Well, what does this have to do with it? Because, listen, a shepherd, shepherd in his flock, is responsible to God, not to man. And so many churches, the man preaching is responsible to his board of elders, where they tell him what to preach. They tell him what not to preach. And if you watch it, even with Christ being our, our um, high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. See, the Old Testament, saint, or Old Testament priest, they had things going on in their life, so they wouldn't talk about certain things. They would leave it out. I ain't going to talk about that because that's me. Jesus doesn't have anything going on in his life except for salvation. So he wants us to teach all of his word all the time, his full counsel, so that everybody deals with every issue in their life. It's not a game. It's not a bingo club. This is not playing church. This is about our eternal souls. And so a shepherd is called to preach the truth no matter how people feel about it. A shepherd is called to be faithful in his gifting and tell people the truth in love. And that doesn't always feel good. It's not always something that a shepherd wants to get up and do. Because a shepherd knows that he has sin in his life too. And that he's fighting with. He has battles that are going on in his mind. But he still has to stand up in the spirit and teach the word of God. And then he says the youngers, elders... Elders are supposed to be able to teach, all elders. Anybody that wants to be an elder in the church should be able to share the word of God with other people. And you can read about that over in uh, Timothy. We covered that. I'm not going to cover it right now. So not dishonest gain, filthy lucre. If you're in it for the money, listen. There's no money in preaching the gospel. Unless it's the false gospel. I'm sorry. There's really no money in preaching the gospel. But there's great blessing and inheritances in heaven. And that's what we're called for anyway. Nor being lords over those entrusted to you. Notice they're entrusted. God has given us a trust to use our gifting. Not lording it over, but being an example to the flock. Why? Because when the chief shepherd appears, he, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. And then he says, likewise, you younger. It's verse 5 of chapter 5. And the younger really is referring to those who are not elders. It's the entire flock. It's everybody else that's not. Um, and he says, hupotasso. Remember that word? Isn't that the word that we love to hate? Hupotasso. It's a military term. Orderly rank yourself in military line where you're supposed to be. God, what's my gifting? God, who's my authority? God, where do I stand in the kingdom of God? Well, the ground is level, but all of us have different callings. All of us have different places in the body of Christ. We all need each other. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. We 
did a little bit of that. 1 Corinthians 12. You know, there's this, he talks about it over there to the church in Corinth. There's this thought that, first of all, you think you're less than because of your past life. And you begin to think, well, I'm not as good as the ear or I'm not as good as the mouth. Uh, since I'm only a servant, I'm not as good as the preacher. Listen, the ground is level at the cross. Don't beat yourself up. We all have the same righteousness in Christ. But then the next thing is, is like we were talking earlier, somebody with a pharisaical mind says, oh, what they're doing isn't as important as mine. Listen, every part of the body is important. God has called us all. The Holy Spirit gives that gift to each person, and it's very important. Without all of us, we couldn't do the gospel. It's kind of like when I get up here in the morning, I mean, nobody sees all the other things of the church being clean, the bulletins being made, all the other things that go on in the background that happen. Everything else has to go on. In fact, I haven't even changed my guitar strings for a long time because somebody used to do that for me that doesn't do it anymore. It's something, I'm, I'm busy sometimes and things need to be done. So it takes the whole body doing everything to make sure that the gospel goes out. And this meeting is, is a very important meeting. It's the equipping of the saints for what? The work of the ministry. My question is, is if you are in the body of Christ, what's your part in the work of the ministry? Why would God equip you and then you not be involved in the work of the ministry? What's the ministry? The ministry of reconciliation of souls. No other ministry on the planet. Everything that we do is so that souls will wake up, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and come to salvation. And we're all supposed to be involved in it. And the devil loves to trick you into thinking all you had to do was say a prayer and you're fine. And you don't have to do anything else. It's not works, Greg. Listen, true faith produces works. Faith without works is dead faith. It's not real faith. Faith without doing the good works that God called you to do is not real faith. It's deceptive, demonic faith. So they're supposed to submit to the elders, and all of us are supposed to submit to one another. Hupotasso to one another. Nobody is more important. God says he hates the work of the Nicolaitans. Nico means above the laity. Even a pulpit like this, even a stand like this is Nicolaitan in form. It tries to make the pastor be above everybody else. Now, it's good for sound, but really the ground is level at the cross. Nobody is above anybody else. So important that we understand that because the number one thing that people do is they just sit and they go, I ain't doing nothing because I don't feel like I'm as spiritual as they are. Oh, well, I still got sin in my life, so I'm not as righteous as they are. Listen, our righteousness comes from our position in Christ because he loved us and died on a cross for us. You're going to have sin in your life until you see him face to face. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to go on sinning. What we say is that we're not sinless, but we're sinning less because of the love of God. But to just say, I'm going to do this, is not a good heart. To say, well, my heart's going to do what it wants, and it doesn't matter. God will forgive me. That's a terrible heart if you understand the love of God. What if Christ would have said that? 
no, Father, that's a good plan, but let's just change up a few things. Like, I don't get beat, and I ain't going to die, and, and, and I get to go down there and be John Wayne, you know. That's the way we write it as a man, but that's not the way God wrote it. He wrote it where he came and died for us. And he was the example of somebody who would serve. In the last night of his life, he actually washed the feet of all of his disciples. And it was a picture of him taking off his prerogative to his deity. He took off his outer garment. And he girded himself in a towel, which is like God putting on flesh. And then he came down and washed the feet. Well, what's feet? It's your walk. It's how you're living. It's everything that you're doing. And he came down and he cleansed our entire lives, our entire walk, everything about us in the last night of his life. Before he went out of the upper room, before he was beaten and scourged and mocked and betrayed and spit on, before he was nailed to a tree and took our curse, he actually did it in physical form as a servant because it was the lowest servant on the planet's job to wash the feet. Lowest servant in the house would wash the feet of the guests when they came in. And Jesus took that position. He came from God Almighty became man, wrapped himself in flesh, and then he washed the feet. And that's what he's doing with us in sanctification. And that's what the book of Peter's about. And that's my whole point here is, are you getting your feet washed? Now, sometimes we do it like Peter did. You open your mouth, you put your feet in them. Because Peter said that night, no, no. It's John 13 if you want to read it later. You're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. See, so if there's not a sanctification process, you really don't have no part in Christ. If we don't actively go through and cooperate with sanctification, and, and it's fishing, he catches you and then he cleans you. And I know some people don't like that analogy, but Jesus used it. And now after he catches you and you go, what? You love me that much? Oh, see, he used his truth as bait, and he caught you. And you were drawn in. And you go, okay, I believe. Then he begins to clean you and make you look just like him. But most people, we tell them, just say a prayer and you'll be fine. You can go do anything you want, live any way you want, because you already said you believed. That's demonic faith. That's not real faith. It's not real faith. As long as you have breath, you should be involved in your own sanctification. And how do you do it? You get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. You allow the word of God to show you the truth of God so you can see the lie of the devil and stop living that way. You allow the word of God to go in and change the thoughts and intents of your heart, to change the desires of your heart. And you say, Lord, what do I do? I see I'm a sinner. And he says, well, there's nothing in you that can change that. The only thing you can do is surrender to the love of my son Jesus, to believe in the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing you can do. And then abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can bear much fruit. So then what happens? The devil comes along and he says, nah, you're a real good teacher. Nah, you're a real good Christian now because you went to church and you read your Bible. Nah, you're okay. You don't have to obey. You don't have to humble yourself. You can go out and tell everybody because you're really good at this. 
And then he takes that spiritual pride and he destroys you with it. Because the devil is a tacticianist. He's a tacticianist. And he'll let you think you're doing okay. I'm doing good. I'm getting away with this sin. I'm really doing good. And then here he comes and he lamb blasts you. He destroys you. See, he's not trying to just keep you from following God. He's trying to devour and kill you. It's not that he's just trying to keep you out of church on Sunday or from reading your Bible through the week. He's trying to take you to hell to destroy you. Hell was not made for flesh and blood. It was made for fallen angels. And salvation was not made for or excuse me, salvation was not made for fallen angels. It was made for flesh and blood. But the devil wants you to get that upside downward and go to hell with him and think you're okay. He wants you to think you're fine. You're getting away with your sin. You don't get away with sin. God sees it. If everybody else doesn't see it, God sees it. And he wants to cleanse you. He died so that he could clean you up. He gave you his position. He gave you an inheritance. And he wants you, in that love, he wants you to know he's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. He wants to take you and make you just like he is as his child. He wants to create in you a pure heart. And you have to humble yourself so that he can lift you up higher and higher so that you can grow. Remember, I tell you all the time, Moses was the humblest man in the Bible. You can read about it. It's in Numbers 12.3. Humblest man in the Bible. Angry, didn't get to go into promised land. Sometimes didn't do the right thing. He married outside. If you read it there in Numbers, he married outside of the tribe. He married an Ethiopian woman, I think it was. He married, the, and, and, and then somebody started talking against him. Who was it? Anybody know? Miriam and Aaron, the first high priest of the Bible, they spoke evil of their brother. And guess what God did? He put leprosy on their butts. You should not make accusations against elders. When you make accusations against elders, God is the one that gifted that person. God's the one that made that person an elder. When you begin to make accusations against people, you better be careful. You better make sure that God's making those accusations because instead of becoming a doer of the word, you become a judge of the word. You become a judge of other people, and you can't do that. It's an amazing text. If you go look at Numbers, if you read the Old Testament, you should read the Old Testament. The whole gospel's hidden inside of it. They got on their face, and they begged God. And Moses actually prayed for them, too. And they left Miriam outside the city for seven days because God said, well, if, if somebody would have spit in her face, she'd have been unclean for seven days. So just leave her out there for seven days. And guess what happened during that time of accusation, during that time of Aaron and Miriam becoming proud and coming against Moses, who was humbling himself before God. And it meant that he was humbling himself, meant that he was obeying what God said. But it didn't mean that it was perfect. He was bowing down to the word of God, to the instruction of God. Guess what happened? Everybody else had to stand still and stay in the same place because of Aaron and Miriam's sin. And that's what happens with the body of Christ. When you're living in a way that's not what is righteousness, you're not even having a heart toward it, you affect the entire body of Christ. 
And that's, that's a so important thing to remember, is that your sin does matter to other people. Well, it's my sin. That's the way I lived before I knew Jesus. Listen, I'm doing it. I'm not in your space. Don't bother me. I can do what I want as long as I'm not in your space. That was a worldly mindset. That's not a Christian mindset. We're supposed to be exhorting one another, helping one another, discipling one another. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and, 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 and singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Submitting to one another. Everything's about the one another ministry. Jesus came for one another. He became our brother and came down here to get the rest of the family and take them home. And yet we say we're trying to be an example of Christ and we're not even concerned about bringing other people home. That's a long introduction, Greg. Listen, God resists the proud. You resist God, he'll resist you. You humble yourself before God, he'll, he'll humble himself and give you everything you need. That's what he did when he come down. He humbled himself. He descended down here and gives us everything. And he says that you're going to go through some stuff in this sanctification but you can cast all your care upon him. That was the last thing we talked about in our last lesson. Verse 7, casting all your care, all your anxiety, all your worries, all your troubles, everything that's going on in your suffering and pain and heartache, in your little uh, uh, sojourning down here on this earth, in this enemy's camp, you can cast it all upon God. Why? Because he already saved your soul. He saved your spirit. He's already saved you and gave you an inheritance. You can trust him. You can say, here it is, Lord. You bought me, now you got to take care of me. You caught me, now you got to clean me. And you can trust that he's going to do a perfect job. He's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that's what he came to do. So be careful. Because in all of that, then what does he say? This morning's text, we're only going to do um, three verses. Four verses, going to do that sometimes. Eight through 11 sounds like three verses to me, but it's really four, and I still haven't figured that out. It's okay. My defense is that there was no numbers in the original text. Here we go. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Father, Open this word so that it would pierce our hearts. It would divide our soul and spirit. And we would understand the intents of our thoughts. And we would want your thoughts because ours are wicked. Make us more like you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, in the sanctification process, there's an enemy. He's in the spiritual realm. He uses sin and yourself to destroy you. 
He makes it look like it's a good thing to do. He makes it look like God's holding out on you. And he always wants you to try to fight the battle in your flesh. Instead of casting your care, instead of casting your problems, instead of coming to God in prayer and laying it down at his feet and saying, I don't understand the spiritual realm. I don't see what's going on, and I'm flesh and blood, and I don't have any power here in my hands to deal with this, Lord, so I'm going to cast it at your feet, and I'm going to come to you in prayer, and I'm going to lay it down and say, I see what he's doing, but how do I deal with it, Lord? Listen to me. Are you casting your care upon the Lord? Are you coming to Him and being dependent upon Him and His Word, Him and His Gospel, Him and His truth? Because the enemy is going to fight with lies. But His lies don't look like lies. His lies are like 99.9% truth, and then He just mixes a little bit in there. Because he's a tacticianist and he wants to destroy you. So he makes you think you're doing okay for a long period of time. It becomes a rut in the road that you can't get out of. And you think you're okay and it's not even Jesus. You're following some type of works mentality or religion. And now you're stuck in that rut and you can't get out of it. And you think it's okay. Your righteousness is in Christ because he gave it to you. It's a free gift. You cannot earn it. All you can do is believe it and trust it. But the devil wants to attack that righteousness and say, see, you're not righteous. Look what you just did. You're not righteous. Look what you just said. You're not righteous. Look how you just acted. But your righteousness cannot be affected if you truly believe in Jesus. It can't be touched. It's his righteousness that he gave to you and he took all of your sin he purified you and you're just as if you never sinned ever just like Christ was so if you believe that Christ was born of a virgin and he was sinless and spotless and he died on a cross and it was a perfect death it was a perfect sacrifice a perfect atoning blood if you believe that then that was given to you so you can't be touched you're set free from the penalty. You're set free from the bondage. You're set free from the power so you can go out and run a race. Are you getting this with me? It can't be touched. God accepted the payment. But the enemy is going to attack you with lies. He's going to say, no, look what you just did. Your works is what's going on now. Your sin, you can't get in this race. You can't tell somebody else about the gospel. You can't memorize scripture. You can't articulate this to your neighbor. You can't invite somebody to church. Did I tell you guys last week that Barna said that 86% of neighbors said that they would go to church if somebody would just ask them? That's a pretty weird statistic to me. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, they could have been posturing. They could have been pretending. They could have been playing. They might not go if you really ask them. But when's the last time? Don't raise your hands. Have you ever asked somebody to come to church? This is not works. Again, listen. It's what the children of God do. They're going out searching for souls in the ministry of reconciliation. But you're being equipped to where you don't even have to invite them to church. You just share the gospel with them right where you stand at. Right where you meet them at, you share the gospel. Listen, you invite somebody to church, they may die before they ever get to church. 
You are the church. The church is the Greek word ecclesia. It means the called out ones. You're, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And you get equipped today to go back out into the world and tell somebody that Jesus loves them and he died for their sin. Well, I don't have any sin. Uh, you're a liar. You do have sin. Probably shouldn't do it that way, but you begin to reason with them. You ever stole anything? You ever tell a lie? What's that make you? It makes you a liar. It makes you a thief. How are you going to pay for that when you get to the throne room? How are you going to deal with that? That's a sin. Thou shalt not, sin, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not tell a lie. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, he believes in you. He died for you. Listen, we're supposed to be getting equipped. It's the number one thing that any Christian would do is get equipped to share, to be an ambassador. So we have to be sober. Here's your first word, sober. Not drunk with wine is the first definition. But it means not to be intoxicated. And you can be intoxicated with anything. Think about it. Listen to me really slowly. Whatever your desire is, whatever you're coveting, whatever you're pursuing can intoxicate you. Doesn't have to be drugs. Doesn't have to be alcohol. It, it doesn't have to be pharmacy at all. But it's all witchcraft. It's all sorcery. Whether it's legal or illegal, the Bible calls it all sorcery. But it doesn't have to be that. It could be that your mind is so stuck on finding a, 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 a mate to live with. You better be careful with that because if you seek out to just take any mate, you might end up with a primate and it won't be any fun. And God hates divorce. So when you get married and you just get married to the first person that says, hey, there's going to be some problems. You need to marry the person that God wants you to marry. And while you're serving and doing what you're supposed to be doing, you should find that mate while you're serving because they're serving. They're doing the same thing. They're like-minded. So you have to be careful with that because so many people come to church just to find a mate. And when they find a mate, they quit going to church. You ever seen that? That's why I'm adamantly against dating clubs in the church or Bible studies for singles. Yeah, that's a really good way to do things. Drives me crazy. I better digress. Be sober. Are you sober-minded? It, it, it means to watch. To be alert. To be calm and collected in your spirit and to be led by the spirit sober-minded you don't go i mean you, you're not supposed to go to your job drunk think about it because you need to be alert you shouldn't go to your job doing pills work i mean i, I worked at wabash national in lafayette everybody was doing many things everybody was doing speed to keep them up at night i'm like i am out of here you people are a bunch of crap i call them crackheads but uh they were they were crazy a lion would stop and they would all panic because they were speeding. If the lion stopped, they'd go, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? And then they try to do something stupid and, and injure somebody. Knock a trailer over. I said, I'm out of here. I ain't even going to work with a bunch of you people. You're not sober-minded. You don't know what you're doing. They're in it only to get a paycheck. They could care less about the job. And a Christian shouldn't be like that. We need to be sober-minded. 
There's not other things distracting us. In fact, we're taking what we learn in Christ back to where we're working at. We're not letting what we're working at distract us from Christ, but we're letting Christ affect what we're working at because we're ambassadors. We go to people for Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, in the strength and the power of Christ, and we don't use our words. We use his word because it's living. Our words fall to the ground. They're dead. His word is living, and it pierces the conscience. It pierces the thoughts and intents of the heart, and it gives people a reason to have to make a decision. It'll make people angry. Angry. I've had people that get real angry when I share Jesus with them, and you have to sidestep because you think they're getting ready to hit you. Some people are killed. Are you sober-minded today? Listen to me. Are you sober-minded today? And if you answer yes to that in your own little heart, then if you're sober, are you in the word prayer and fellowship? Are you finding out what your gifting is? Are you going to other people with the gospel? See, because if you're not, you're drunk. If you're not, you're intoxicated with this world. If you're not doing the work of the ministry of reconciliation, then something else is intoxicating you. Something else is keeping your mind caught up. Now, I understand this. Listen to me, because we're living in an American system that does put you back in bondage with all of its money and the job and all the pressures and all the fears and all the lies that put you back in bondage. And that's why you need to know even more who you are in Christ. You need to know even more what your identity is. And you need to be so because the devil's the one doing that. I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one is what the Bible says. So it keeps you chasing these other things, keeps you chasing the, the nice house and the two and a half children and the car. It keeps you chasing all of these things that they say makes you arrive. And if you're trying to arrive in a physical sense, then you're drunk. You're drunk with material things and carnality. Because we're not trying to arrive down here. My finish line is in heaven where I'm already seated with Christ. This stuff down here is nothing. It's all going to burn. The only thing that's going to be in heaven with you is other spirits that, that, that get saved and believe the truth, God and the Word of God. That's it. That's all that's leaving here. The Word of God will last forever. God is always eternal, and then you are going to get there. And the other people that are supposed to be in the family of God. Everything else is burning. He says, I make all things new. You want global warming? Wait for God to bring it. Because he's going to burn it all up with fire. He promises never to flood it again, but he didn't promise not to burn it up. He's going to purify everything because it's been touched with the sin of mankind. It's been touched with the sin of the devil and pride and arrogance. And he's proven once and for all that there is no wisdom or counsel against God. And he does it in love. He doesn't do it with any violence. He doesn't do it with anything other than love where he died for us. Are you sober today? Then be vigilant. 
That's the next word. That's where my name comes from, by the way. It's gregario. That's the, that's the word, the Greek word for vigilant. It's watchful one. That's what it means, watchful one. It means to keep awake and not to sleep the sleep of death. To keep awake and not to sleep the sleep of death. See, the adversary wants to put you to sleep. Well, how does he do that? He gets you drunk, intoxicated with everything else. And you're no longer watching the places you're supposed to be, standing at the rampart, making sure that you're an ambassador for Christ, but you're so drunk that you just fall asleep. You ever get so drunk you just fall asleep? Leave him alone, they're drunk, they'll just fall asleep. You ain't got to do nothing with him, he'll fall asleep, he's drunk. That's what happens. You get so drunk you pass out. You sleep the sleep of death. Proverbs says, when will I awake till I can take another drink? And you go on in death and you think you're okay. But we're chasing everything else with our heart instead of God. And I'm preaching to myself. Because we're all uh, the same. Vigilant. Gregorio. To keep awake. See, it's one thing to say, I'm sober, I'm in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, but are you staying awake? Are you staying watchful? Are you, do you have a constancy? That's what, I, I mean, first you have pistio, and then you have pistis. Pistis means to a reliance upon Christ for salvation, but then a constancy in that reliance. So you continue, abide, and remain. And that's the word stand, histomai, out of Ephesians 6. Histomai, you stand. Right? We're standing in Christ. Because I don't have to fight. He already won the victory at the cross. All i got to do is stand and reap the rewards of it. Stand and obey. Stand and, and, and resist the devil so that I can stay sober and I can be vigilant. Well, if I'm not watchful, this word's used over in Matthew 24 where he says, if the servant would have known what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched. But he didn't watch, and everything was stolen. It was taken by the thief when he came. See, it'd be pretty cool if they, hey, yeah, this is a burglar number one. I'm going to come over and rob your house tonight at about, oh, I'll say 1135. I've got one at 1140, uh, so I won't be there very long, but I'm going to come rob your house tonight. Well, I'm going to sleep till 1134 and then get up and catch him, right? But the burglar don't tell you. The devil's not telling you what he's doing. The thief is coming to rob, kill, and destroy. He's not calling you on the phone telling you what he's getting ready to do. So you think it's okay, and it's not. So we're supposed to be sober. In other words, don't get caught up in all these other things that intoxicate you. In fact, in Ephesians, he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It dissipates because you get drunk and then you get sober. And then you get drunk and then you get sober. But be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The Holy Spirit is how we're going to be sober. Because the Holy Spirit's always going to have you about the work of God. 
The Holy Spirit is how we're going to watch because he's going to give you eyes to see what the enemy's doing. He's going to give you wisdom to, to foresee evil coming and turn aside. Look over at 1 Thessalonians. I got a bunch of places I wanted to go, and I'm trying to decide which ones not to go to. So, um, because I ran out of time. First Thessalonians chapter five. But concerning the time, five one. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now listen, he is writing these people, and he says they already know this. Do you know this? I mean, how old are we in the Lord? The Thessalonians weren't very old in the Lord. It's a couple months old in the Lord when he wrote this letter, and they already knew that the Lord was going to come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, is that what they're saying? You get a vaccine, there'll be peace and safety. That's the only way we're going to get this thing under wraps is if everybody does the same thing. Peace and safety. We're going to take care of it all for you. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman... And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Why? Because you're supposed to be sober and watching. You're supposed to be vigilant. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith, that's how we're going to do it, and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, my hope is in the salvation that comes from the Lord. It's not in America. It's not in an earthly government. It's not in anything else. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. And we're going to go to that verse next week, I think. Uh, but listen, are you watching? Are you sober? Are you being vigilant? Because the enemy lulls us to sleep. No, I'm not watching. I'm not sober. I'm not vigilant. Are you, are you kidding? I'm out working. I'm out, I'm out slaving at a job to get money to pay my rent and pay my mortgage and feed the kids. And I don't have time to be sober and vigilant. Because when I get home, I'm wore out. But what are you supposed to be doing? What system are you living under? Have you been delivered? See, because you can do those things and still have energy to do other things. But you need to do them according to the Word of God. And that's a total different sermon all in itself. Why should we be sober and vigilant? It's here in the text. Because. Next word. We can't get nowhere going word by word, can we? This will take forever. I'm going to be sober and vigilant because my adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, who he can destroy. This is the spiritual realm. This is what's going on. See, we're living out here looking at stuff, but we're talking about your spirit. 
We're talking about your soul. We're talking about that part that's going to live for eternity. The devil is trying to destroy it. It's not about this stuff out here. He's putting all that eye candy out there so you won't be sober. You won't be vigilant. You'll be drunk and intoxicated. And you'll chase the, the, the entertainment. You'll chase all the, the, the uh, carnivals. That's where the word carnal comes from. It's from carnival. They come from the same word in the Greek. You'll chase all the entertainment. And what's he doing? He takes all the entertainment mediums and he, and he puts in music and he puts in the movies all of these lies that, that, that you know, and then we get all these new reality shows, right? <laughs> Scripted. Uh, if you believe that's reality, you believe that one thing on uh, Facebook that they're really royalty. Uh, and everybody's making up new names in their own little places, and they make up their own little lives. This is all fantasy, but we're talking about a true spiritual realm that cannot be affected if you will listen to Jesus, if you'll get in the Word, and you'll listen for His voice. But all the rest of it is deception to make you drunk with desire thinking that if I get that, this dangling carrot, when I get there, it's going to be good. When I get there, it's going to be good. You know what? In the American dream, you know what you do? You work all your life until you're too tired to enjoy it when you get it. What sense does that make? Well, I'm finally retired. I'm 65. My bank account's full. But my leg's out. Now i got to go spend all my money on getting a new leg. Now i got to go spend all my money on getting a new hip. <laughs> I'm teasing, Bob. But listen, we work all of our life to spend all the money to try to stay alive when we're older. Why don't we just work for Jesus and try to save souls? And then we have an internal inheritance laid up for us that moth can't, moth can't get, rust can't get. They will not, it will not expire. Nobody can take it from you. You don't have to leave it behind. It's going to be waiting for you. Listen, it doesn't matter how much stuff you got. The more stuff you got, the more you have to take care of. It's not setting you free. It puts you in bondage. You have to do more work to take care of it. You have to work harder to pay for it. It's a lie. It's bondage. The only thing that sets you free is the truth of the gospel. When you realize that none of this stuff matters, the only thing that matters is doing the will of God. Your adversary. Listen to this. Who's your adversary? Notice it's your adversary. It's not my adversary. Oh, yeah, it is. It's your adversary personal, though. Just like Jesus is your personal salvation, you have a personal adversary. When your name goes on a list in heaven, it goes on a list in hell. And that's a, an opinion. It's not in the Bible. But the devil says, I'm going to contend with them. I'm going to make sure they're drunk and they're not watching. And once I get that done, then I don't have to worry about them no more. So your name falls off the list once he sees that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. He doesn't have to worry about you. You ever, you ever play sports? Anybody ever play sports? Maybe. Like you're playing basketball and you say, don't worry about them. They're self-check. You don't even have to worry about them. If they get the ball, they can't make it. So you, you guard the other guys. 
And that's what the devil does. If, if you're not living the gospel, if you're not in the word prayer and fellowship, if you're not out telling people what's going on and using your gifting to do the work of the ministry, then the devil goes, they're self-check. I got them so drunk, they don't even know what's going on. We don't have to guard them. If he sees you come alive, though, he's going to send a battle. And you can cast that care upon the Lord because he's already got it. God has never let nothing come at you that he hasn't prepared you to handle. But you've got to stand in faith when it comes. How will I know that when you stand in faith, you'll know that you're trusting God? If you don't stand in faith, you ain't trusting God. I think I have a verse for that, don't I? Faint when trouble comes. I don't know where it's at. I know it's right here on the left side of the page. So your adversary, he's your opponent. And actually, when you look it up in the Greek... It's your opponent in a lawsuit. Because remember, we're in a courtroom. This is a courtroom. And he's your adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's actually bringing charges against you before Christ all the time. He's trying, he's trying to destroy you. He's not just trying uh, to, to keep you from getting to church. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to keep you. Here it is. Right there. Right where I said uh, it's a Proverbs 24.10. It's the verse before our memory verse this week. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And your strength is in the Lord. But if you faint in the day when that comes, then you know, well, I'm not trusting the Lord because I just fainted. I didn't trust him. I didn't stand. But it, that's not to kick your butt. That's to show you your heart. And you go, Lord, why didn't I stand? Why did I faint? And then he's going to give you wisdom. He's going to help you to grow. So the next time you go, oh, I'm not going to do that that way the next time. I'm going to do it this way the next time. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to trust the Lord first. And the best way is to already be ready when the enemy comes. So your adversary, he's an opponent in a lawsuit is actually what the Greek means. We're in a courtroom, and here's the accuser, the devil, your adversary. He's trying to, 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 to sue you. What's he trying to do? Listen, it says, especially Satan, uh, our arch enemy. And I looked up lawsuit in the 1828 Webster's, and it's a suit in law for the recovery of supposed rights. See, see, the devil supposes he's got rights over you. And now you're clothed in Christ, but he wants you to get in his suit again and act the way he dresses and the way he does. So he's trying to accuse you, and he's being your adversary, and he's trying to destroy you and get you to think you're clothed in Christ when all the while you're wearing his suit. You're clothed in his actions. You're continuing to live like an old creation when you've been set free to be the new creation. And that's the way the adversary comes at you, is with lies. Everything that he does is a lie, and you have to be clothed in the truth. So you have to be learning the truth, standing in the truth. But he wants you to be clothed in his clothing. Listen, court of law. Who's our lawyer? Who's our lay advocate? Who's our one that comes alongside our paralegal is the Holy Spirit? But our lawyer is Jesus the Christ. He died for us. 
And when the enemy accuses you, remember your righteousness is in Christ. So, so the judge looks, the father, and Jesus just shows him the nail print hands. And he says, he's mine. He's covered in the blood. And the gavel comes down and says, not guilty. And you're, you're, you're righteous. You're, you're righteous because of your position. And in the same way, if you're doing it in the flesh and you're committing sin and the accusations are true, but you've asked God to forgive you because of the blood of Jesus, the gavel comes down and he has forgiven you. Your adversary, the devil, he walks about. The devil, the diablos, diablos. Again, he's a slanderer, a false accuser. The word they use is traducer. Anybody ever heard of the word traducer? I'm like, we just don't use words like this anymore. Traducer, T-R-A-D-U-C-E-R. Just like it sounds, traducer. Listen to what it means. Uh, comes from the word trans. It gets its root in trans. So what's he trying to traduce? What's he trying to transfer? This is where I started this sermon. He willfully tries to misrepresent the word of God. It's a willful thing that he's doing. He's transferring. Did God really say? And he tries to transfer it. Are you really born a male? Are you really born a female? He's trying to change the gender. He's transferring the truth of God's word. That's why it's called death culture. Because he's trying to kill what God has said. He's trying to change the entire mindset or thoughts. And that's why we have to stay sober and watch. Because the devil walks. And that, that's the word peripateo. We've had that word many times. Peripateo means your, your normal walk, treading all about. He goes all about. Remember, that's what he was doing in the book of Job. The, and God said to him, what are you doing? He, he, he's walking to heaven. He says, I'm going to and fro, trying to deceive. And he says, and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? I'm like, God, don't say that about me. Have you considered my servant Job? And he says, you protect him. You won't let nothing happen to him. And he said, you can do everything to him except kill him. But Job was prepared for that. Even his wife, when his kids, 10 kids dead, Lost all of his property. Here he is. He's an elder at the gate. He's giving people counsel. He's taking care of the widow and the orphan because of who God was, not because of who Job was. And he allows the devil to attack his life. And here's Job sitting in the ash pit, scratching the sores on his body with broken pottery. He's suffering. He's in anguish. And by the way, Job is the oldest book in the Bible from the land of Uz. And um, Job won't deny God. His wife says, just curse God and die. And now we know why the devil didn't kill his wife. Because it was somebody to lead doubt into his life. I'm not picking on wives. I'm just saying that's what God does or what the devil does is leave things in your path that will continue to get you to doubt the word of God. It's not, it doesn't have to be a wife. 
It can be the drug man. It can be anything. And you doubt the word of God. It can be a TV show or a song that you're singing, you know, that has those lyrics in it about a bunch of other stuff that are lies. That's why you got to weed that stuff out. You got to begin to look at everything through the sunglasses of what truth is. And then you recognize the adversary. That's how you become sober. You stop being intoxicated. You stop pursuing this stuff and you begin to pursue God and his righteousness and his truth and get involved in what he's doing. And when you're involved in what he's doing and being led by the spirit of God, then he begins to change your life. So the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Why does it say like? Because he's been defeated. Revelation 5, when they're all going, oh no, who's going to open the seal? And John is freaking out. He's like, nobody's worthy. He says, calm down. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the seal. And he's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus is the real lion. And the devil is the Antichrist. He's the liar. He's toothless. The only way he can get you to, to believe that he's got power is when you give him teeth back. You put some dentures in his mouth and you believe his lie. You don't trust God. You don't cast your care upon God. You surrender and you try to, try to do it yourself. And you give the devil teeth. He's like a roaring lion. Well, what does a lion do anyway? Chases after weak straggling sheep tries to isolate you and decimate get you get decimate you get you over alone like you're the only one that's ever been through this you're the only one that's a sinner you're the only one living like this we're all in the same boat we're in the fellowship that's why fellowship is so important word prayer and fellowship when you're all alone he isolates you and decimates you that's exactly what a lion loves to do but he does it with lies. Did God really say? Let's transfer this to you. You're the one doing this. You're the one that's the heathen. You're the one that's not saved. You're the one that's the sinner. And he transfers it back to you. Listen, when he knocks on the door, let Jesus open the door. When he knocks on the door, let the truth of God's word, the sword of the spirit, answer the door and cut off his head. Don't give him any room. Man, we can't even get through this sermon. He's walking about like a roaring lion. He is not a lion. Jesus is the lion. And what's he doing? What's he doing? He's seeking. Uh, listen, this, you know what this word means? Seeking to plot against life. Jesus is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The devil is death. He's plotting against it. He's seeking who he can kill. Biblical usage is to crave and demand something from someone. That's what this seeking is. He's, he's craving and demanding someone to follow him, to listen to his voice instead of to listen to the shepherd's voice. And we're all led away by our own desires. We can't blame anybody else. Either we're going to say, Lord, make your desires my desires. I want to hear your word and follow. I want to be led by your spirit because those are the children of God. As many as are led by the spirit of God. I don't want to hear the voice of the devil and follow him because then he's going to destroy me. He's going to devour me. I'm going to give him teeth. And he doesn't really have any teeth because he was defeated at the cross. Completely made a spectacle. 
but he's seeking to plot against my life. He's my adversary to see who he can swallow up, drink down, destroy, devour in your new King James. What should we do? Well, you're sober and vigilant. If you're sober and vigilant, you can resist him. That's the next verse. Verse 9. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Not steadfast in your backyard. Not steadfast with your uh, 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 um, own weapons. Not steadfast. Listen, in the faith. That's the only way to resist him, is in faith. Knowing that Christ has already defeated him with the truth, with the knowledge of that defeat. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. If you was to look at Ephesians 6, Paul says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. You may be able to resist him in the faith. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. It's the first thing. It's the belt of truth. Everything relies upon this belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's my first truth is that I'm righteous because of Christ. You can't lie to me, devil. I, I'm not standing in my own righteousness. It's Christ and it's perfect. It's the best plan. It's the best atonement. It's the blood of Jesus. Shotting your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So now I'm staying in the word and I know I'm at peace with God and that I'm supposed to go out and tell others about peace. And then he says, above all, taking up the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. See, because he's coming. He's the adversary. He doesn't want you to be sober and vigilant. So you have to have faith, standing and resisting in faith. You have to have the shield of faith up that you believe what God said and there's a constancy in it. Putting on the helmet of salvation. I've been delivered. I'm standing in safety. I'm in the family of God. Taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and perseverance, being watchful. There's that word. We started with watchful, we end with watchful. Because that's how you're vigilant. Being watchful for all the saints. And then Paul says in that text in 620, and for me, pray that I would have boldness to speak as I ought to speak. Not the way somebody wants me to speak, not the way some board of elders asks me to speak, but the way the Spirit of God wants me to speak truth in love so that people will be set free. Putting on the armor of God is very important because every bit of it is Christ. Every bit of it is Christ. I would, I would encourage you to put to memory um, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And we've done it several times in our Bible study. Okay, so what, what's going on here? Resist. Don't forget that he first said, where did he say it at? Up in verse um, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So you can't resist the devil until you've first humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let's look at it. James talks about it in James 4. I wanted to go through all the way through James 4, but I just don't have time. James 4, 7, we're going to go. It's therefore. What's it there for? Because he tells you where all the wars, when all the battles, and everything that's going on, they come from pride. They come from not praying. And then he even says in 6, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The same verse that Peter 
Proverbs 3.34, just quote it, but this is what he says. Before you can resist, what do you have to do? Therefore, submit to God. Hupotasso. Submit under the mighty hand of God. First, you have to believe him, trust him. Know that he's won the battle. He's your salvation. He's your righteousness. He's your inheritance. You're in his family. And if he's for you, who could be against you? See, this is our identity. You're safe. That's what the word salvation means. Delivered from the sin nature and safe in the house of God. Delivered from the father of all lies. But you have to first submit under the mighty hand of God. Hupotasso. Well, what's that mean? That means to orderly rank yourself in military line where you're supposed to be. God, who am I? What am I called for? What's my gifting? What am I supposed to be doing in the ministry of reconciliation of souls? See, it's all, it's all there in a war, but it's also there in a courtroom. And it's all already laid out, and all you have to do is learn what your identity is in Christ and stand in Christ. Histomai. Abide, continue, and remain is what that word means. You have to submit under the mighty hand of God. Then you resist the devil. Because, see, you can't resist the devil unless you're surrendering to God. You can't resist the devil unless you've first submitted to God. Unless you first come underneath his orderly ranking, there's no way to resist the devil. He's going to kill you. If you're not doing it according to God's kingdom, according to his order, according to what he's doing in the universe, the devil's going to destroy you. You're out of order. You're in the wrong place. So he wants to keep you someplace out there drunk, not watching, thinking you're okay, and then he destroys you because he's a tacticianist. But it says here, just like this is exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 4. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How did he resist him? With the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He said, turn these breads. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days. He hasn't eaten. His appetite for to feed the flesh is strong. And the devil says, if you are the son of God, he brought if in his doubt. He said, turn one of these stones into bread. And then you can take care of your physical appetite. And he said, it is written, sword of the spirit, cross blades with the devil. He chose to submit to God. It is written, Deuteronomy 8, 2, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is spiritual. This is not physical. I'm not going to feed my physical appetites right now because I know you're trying to destroy me. And that might be good for a moment, but it's not going to be good for eternity. It's going to bring about death. Sin brings about death when it has its fullness. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, hand, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. All he's saying is repent. Stop thinking this way. Everything that we're laughing about is really bad. It's not humorous at all. We're being entertained. We're drunk with this. And it's not funny because we're living behind enemy lines and people are dying and going to hell. And yet we're entertained by it. And he's saying, change your mind how you're thinking. 
Draw near to God. And when you draw near to God, He'll automatically, you resist Him, He'll resist you. If you're proud, He'll resist you. But if you draw near to Him, you know what He does? He'll come draw right near to you. Because you reap what you sow. Lord, you, oh, I don't know how to draw near. Just cry out. When you cry out, you're going to find Him. He's not hiding Himself. He's here right now. The problem is, the devil keeps us drunk. He keeps us watching everything else, watching others instead of watching for his own tactics. That's what he loves to do. God's holding out on me. Look, they're driving a, they're driving a Cadillac. And then we're watching the Cadillac instead of watching the devil destroy us. It's okay. It's okay to be right where you're at as long as your heart is to let God change you and grow you up in the faith. It's okay to be the younger. It's okay to want to grow. You don't have to keep up with anybody. God loves you. And he's got a special plan for your life. But you have to seek it out and begin to do it in his strength, his way, for his glory. Or the diablos, the devil, is going to destroy you. But you first have to submit to God or there's no way to resist him. Because it has to be his way. And you have to do it steadfast. That's solid. You have to be serious about it. And do it in the faith, the pistis, a constant scene. And, and, and for a while, they'll be suffering. Where am I at? Let's get this closed out. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Four, or 5.9 of 1 Peter. Knowing. So you should know this. He doesn't want you to believe this. He wants you to think you're the only one going through this and isolate you and decimate you, knowing that the same afflictions, the same sufferings are being experienced or accomplished by your brotherhood or your brethren in the world. This is going on with everybody. Everybody's going through the same thing. Everybody's either going to end up in hell or in heaven. Everybody's going to be either, either changed by the glory of God or you'll remain the same. It's according to what you want to do. You want to draw near to God? You want to surrender to Him? That's the only way to resist the devil. We're all in the same place. We're all born into this same life. We all, the Bible always surprised me, like in James 5, that we have the same spirit as Elijah. Doesn't that freak anybody out? Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for like seven years. We got the same spirit. You know why? Because Elijah trusted that God would hear his prayer. Elijah trusted that if he was being dependent upon God and obeying God and doing the work of God for the, to, to, to destroy the works of the devil, that God would hear his prayer. And God answered him. And the king, the king hated him. Who was the king? Ahab and Jezebel? Yeah. They hated him. Go look at the Old Testament. The kings are always trying to kill their true prophets. The king wants to kill the word of God. That's because earthly governments are under the sway of the wicked one. And they want to destroy God's plan. Because it's all going to go back. And we'll close it out next week with the Tower of Babel. Because if you notice, that's where he's writing from. In verse 13. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. He's writing from Babel, from Babylon. 
We're going to talk about it next week. That's why I couldn't finish the book this week because there's just way too much in verses 12, 13, and 14 that we need to talk about and understand because it's still going on today. Nothing has changed. It's still going on. The devil is still trying to keep us drunk and chasing everything else down here instead of watching for the return of the Lord Jesus, which is coming quickly. It's imminent. It's getting ready to happen. And we're drunk with the things of this world. We're drunk with what the government's doing. We're drunk with COVID. We're drunk with fear. That's the number one way that he devours. Remember in Genesis? Adam, where are you? We heard your voice and we hid ourselves because we were afraid. Go look at it. It's in Genesis 3.8. How did you know you were naked and afraid if you didn't eat from the tree? Have you eaten from it? It was that woman you gave me. Let's blame somebody else, right? Instantly, when God starts to reason with this, we try to find an excuse instead of just repenting and changing our mind. God starts reasoning with Adam, and he says, it's that woman you gave me. What's he really doing? He's blaming God. He's blaming God. That's the devil's greatest plan is to blame God. And that's what man will do under the influence of sin. We'll say it's God's fault. You should have never created me. You gave me that woman, and she's the one that ate. And we begin to blame. We begin to blame everybody else. For our sin instead of just repenting. It's because they're rich and I don't have any money. Wait a minute. It's because they're white and they have privilege. It's because they're Christian. It's what's going on. No, it's because they're men. No, it's because God did. That's death culture. That hasn't changed since the garden. It just comes in different ways. But the devil's always pitting us against each other. Instead of getting us to go out and do the ministry of reconciliation of souls by telling people the truth. The battle hasn't changed. We just start depending on the wrong things and we're drunk with different things. But it's always our own desires. It's always our own desires. Listen, you know what? If you're black and you believe the way I believe, it's still white privilege. You go figure that one out. You go figure that one out. See, we're talking about spiritual realm. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or how tall you are or how short you are or whether you're crippled or whether you are. It doesn't matter. Are you spiritually awake? Is your spirit married to Jesus Christ because of the atoning blood of the cross of Jesus? And is your heart turned toward home so that you can be sanctified and involved in the kingdom of God? As you obey and get involved, you're being sanctified at that very moment because you're now walking by faith. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, you are not walking by faith. Because you're not walking. You're still dead. You might have a head knowledge that Jesus is Lord, but if you're not doing what he called you to do, I'm, we're not talking about sin. Sin is over with with Christ. You're no longer responsible for your sin. It's been paid for. I'm talking about sanctification. The only way to leave your sin behind is submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. But if you don't submit to God, you'll hang out in your sin. 
And you go, oh, this is just the walk of, the, of a Christian. This is what Christians do. They just sin and repent. No, if you submit to God, you'll sin less. You'll walk away from your sin because you'll be living in righteousness. Because you recognize that it no longer has power over you unless you give the devil teeth. He set us free, people. This is what Peter's trying to tell you. It's going on with everybody. Everybody's going through suffering and pain and heartache, and God will use it for your glory to glorify you if you look to Him, you turn to Him, you ask Him for wisdom in it, and you keep doing what you're called to do. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace, He's all, the God of all grace, He keeps giving grace, who called us. Remember, that's what He just did to Adam and Eve, right? He called them. You got a choice. You going to blame somebody? Well, they're white. They got more money. They got more skill. You going to blame somebody or you going to hear his voice and pick up the phone and follow him? Listen, he called us. He's called us. It's the word phone. He called us. The word phone is how we pronounce it. And that, and there's there's two things going on here. I got a little letter beside the word us. You guys got it in your Bible? And then a note that says, it could read you or us. He called us as a body, but you personally. So don't be relying on the people sitting next to you. They may not even know Jesus. you got to rely upon God. Submit to Him. Resist the devil. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. What did He call us to, Greg? His. Notice that possession. It's His. Everything's His. He spoke and created His eternal glory. He called us to His eternal glory. Now listen, this is good. It's the word doxa. His glory, if we're down here, means His honor, praise, and worship. But from looking from His perspective, it, His glory is His opinion, His judgment, and His view. It changes. If you want to look at it in a physical sense or a spiritual sense... He's called us to His eternal judgment, His eternal view, His eternal opinion. We're called to this truth. You're set free. Oh, that's crazy. We went way too long. Didn't work. See, I wrote the time down here, and I was going to stop at an hour. It didn't work. Wasn't finished. Didn't work. Wasn't finished. Now notice this. He called you to his eternal glory. How did he do it? He sent his voice down here. He sent his heart down here. He sent Jesus down here by Christ Jesus. Notice it's not Jesus Christ. Christ is Messiah, the anointed. He's the one that was anointed to go through the suffering of the cross and pour out his blood. That's what he was called for. He sets the example that every one of us that believe, we're called for a reason. And we're supposed to walk through it. Jesus is just his name, Yeshua. Yahshua. It means God is salvation. After you have suffered a while, you're going to go through some affliction for a time, for a season. He will perfect. And I'll close. He will perfect. Where's that word at? It means to complete thoroughly, to prepare, to restore, to adjust you. 
He will establish, or establish, King James, it doesn't have an E on the front of it. It means to turn resolutely in a certain direction when he establishes you. It means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Listen, when you repent, you turn from sin and you turn to God. There's a certain direction. You can't just stop drinking and say, I repented and turn to something else to fill in the gap. You have to turn to God and let Him change your desires and understand that you no longer are that person, but you're a new creation. He's going to strengthen you. It means to confirm in spiritual knowledge and power. As you abide and continue remain, He strengthens you. He teaches you who you are as you get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. And it means to make stand strong. Then He settles you, which is laying a perfect foundation. No other foundation, Paul said, can anyone lay but that of Christ Jesus. And if you build on that, you will definitely get an eternal inheritance when you are settled and have the foundation of the Word of God, of Christ. To Him be the glory and dominion, all power and strength and might forever and ever. So be it. Amen. Father, Father, even though Paul will say in the next text that he wrote briefly, his words are deep. And we pray that they would sink deep down into our heart. And we'd have a desire to search out your truth. And to stop giving the devil teeth so that he can destroy us. Lord, we understand that all deception is self-deception when we listen to his lie. And we believe the lie instead of turning in the direction towards you and listening to your truth. Lord, help us to turn. Help us to repent. Help us to hear your truth and believe. Help us to walk in a manner worthy to you and bear fruit in every respect. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Have your way with us. Help us to submit to you and resist the devil by standing fast in the finished work of the cross. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I